Our podcast is about a story about a town, a small town, and the people who live in the town. From a distance, it presents itself like so many other fandom podcasts all over the internet. Nerdy, white, male. Get closer though, and you start to see the silliness underneath. Welcome to the second episode of River Do's and River Don'ts, covering Chapter 2, A Touch of Evil, directed by Lee Toland Krieger and written by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. In this show, we're going to talk about what happened in this episode, the best things that happened in this episode, the worst things that happened in this episode, and we are going to talk about the things that elicited a state of exquisite confusion. With that out of the way, I think that we should just jump right in to the synopsis. We pick up with the aftermath of the discovery of Jason's body by Kevin and Moose, who went down to the river to do anything but smooch. Yes. Oh, and crucially, we managed to forget in our rundown of the first episode that Betty ends up confronting Archie after the seven minutes in heaven with Veronica about the possibility of them ever being together romantically, and he does not give her the answer that she wants. Correct. Which is a pretty big down note, downcast tone for the start of this one. Absolutely. Things are pretty dark. They're dark for more or less everyone. Jughead sees what's going on between Archie and Grundy. Uh, They're hand-holding and gross i know it's awful um and illegal quite frankly in many states to this day there's a confrontation about that between jughead and archie where jughead is um for lack of a better term he's the straight man he seems to have the most i mean one hopes not oh i mean (laughs) i i will not lie again putting aside the fact that the character is 15 and like looking to the age of the actual actor who's closer to my own age he is very much my type but he is relatively the one sane man in this situation who seems to have a sort of conception of what we might call normal reality looks like. Well, and he's posited as almost a bit of a Greek chorus. I mean, almost explicitly a Greek chorus in the first episode. Oh, yeah. But he's an outsider at school, and thus he is outside of the tribal social maneuvering shark tank that everybody else is drowning in in this entire show at least among the the kids yeah yeah. he has an outsider's perspective on it and often does seem to have a broader view of what's going on and more of a perspective on riverdale the town yeah the community rather than oh these couple of relationships and this person's mad at me and like will i ever get this person to like me etc etc absolutely We also have a plot in this episode where Cheryl tries to become cozy friends with Betty, which culminates in a scene where Cheryl, in Betty's room, basically tries to force Betty to confess to the fact that her sister killed her brother, which... I mean, it works out as well as one might expect. Yeah, I. this was actually interesting to me because this response actually felt relatively real, where she was just like, okay, leave, go. (laughs) Just go, no, don't talk to me like that in my own house, go. Get out of my room before I kill you. (laughs) Right. 
aside from that, we get a little bit more of Cheryl when she has some, like, traumatic flashbacks during the pep rally in honor of Jason. Again, they will not let this go. Um, I guess that 2017 is the year of Jason. <laughs> yes. uh, they're, they're just not going to let that go. Um, I am sure that the seniors of that year will be known as the class of 18, a.k.a. Jason's boys. One has to presume yeah. uh, that a high school of this size has a guidance counselor mm-hmm. and that he has his hands tied behind his, like he, he is zip tied and duct taped in the trunk of a car somewhere oh yeah or because it is clear that no one has (laughs) consulted any kind of psychiatric professional no no they are just putting stuff out there that is likely to really negatively affect these already delicate students but this um this flash of imagery of jason causes cheryl to flee and we do get one of the more in-depth scenes with veronica in this episode where she comes and essentially calls upon the established elements of her own character arc, showing that there's um, some level of connection between herself and Cheryl and that she can see herself mm-hmm. in Cheryl's pain as she comforts her. With that, um, we kind of see Betty come closer to the group after having been spurned by Cheryl. Archie defends Jughead when there's a group of the football team who's accusing him of potentially being the person who killed Jason. He steps up to his aid there and puts his eye where his mouth is too indeed indeed just punched right in the face right in the face and then that causes some reconciliation between archie and jughead and we end the episode on something perplexing where cheryl straight up says i'm guilty as the police enter science class she stands up and says i'm guilty which is the most incredibly self-aware television ass ending I've ever seen. For oh, a, sure. Like, Cheryl oh, sure. And knew the, and the... that this had to be a stinger. <laughs> well, and, and the pressure's on, too, because it's not just that he was murdered. We're continuing in the tradition of mostly just circling around all this relationship drama for most of the runtime of the episode, and then taking a step in the complexity and severity of the mystery right at the very end, where we get evidence from the autopsy of he actually died a week after everyone assumed that he died. He did not die on the day of his disappearance. Yeah. It sounds like maybe he had his own little hunger games for a while there. Uh, yeah, it looked like he had been through a real, real bad time before dying. And also this means that the gunshot that was heard on the morning of July 4th. That wasn't it. That that was something else. That was indeed something else. That pretty much does it for a recap. What would you say is the most river do of the moves that were made in this episode my favorite part of this episode my river do was when archie stepped up and defended jughead honestly um there was something about it that while very predictable struck a chord with me on some level i liked that a lot I know that the way that they're painting Jughead in this particular scene as being this sort of like antisocial loner who might be a danger to those around them was a way that I was personally explicitly painted in high school. I was relatively quiet and withdrawn and asking a lot of people about their first impressions with me later. They said that they thought that I'd probably snap one day and uh, do something crazy, which, hey, here we are. Am I right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But having that that bond of friendship reach out and defend people against those allegations 
Yeah, and that friendship was at a low ebb at this oh, point yeah. too. Like their their relationship was very strained with Jughead finding out what was going on and there had already been something driven between them before then. Mm-hmm. And he's putting pressure on Archie to come clean and like everything is stacked against Archie standing up for Jughead. So of course when the chips are down and he jumps in to help him, like it's very impactful. It was it was a great scene. Yeah, I, I like the way that yeah, they move forward and repaired their relationship. Um, there were elements of that that felt very sort of positive and non-toxic, and I was appreciative of that. Uh, how about you? What was your river do? I'll say that great minds think alike in this case. Following off of that, of course, Archie does resolve to tell the authorities what he knows about what happened on July 4th, about the gunshot, and... He's going to try to keep Grundy out of it, which, you know, I could take or leave, but he's going to do the right thing and tell people what happened in case that helps them figure out what went on with Jason. Yeah, good move, kid. And when he tells Jughead that, you can see their friendship healing itself. Yeah. And it's super heartwarming. And Jughead just says, I'm not going to hug you in front of the whole school. Mm -hmm. Let's just do that bro thing where we nod like douches and mutually suppress our emotions. (laughs) And that was the best line. (laughs) It's weird because it couples something that I think is very sort of emblematic of Riverdale, which is this combination of this almost meta hyper awareness of tropes and characters and just all that sort of stuff with some really earnest teenage stuff like that awkward like i'm not gonna hug you in front of everyone feels like this very sort of (laughs) right almost vulnerable relatable teen moment trying to protect himself and then incredibly self-aware in the way he finishes that out yeah although i've got to say that self-awareness feels more authentic coming from jughead than any other character oh yeah you know he's the writer the observer of people the deep thinker the exalted loner yeah yeah him him kind of thinking of it in those terms and expressing it that way did not feel absurd to me. It felt like his way of coping with his vulnerability, and I thought it was actually very sweet. Agreed. And so I'm, ex- you know, I'm excited to see these two these two boys get their fucking friendship right. Oh yeah, because it's obvious that that they should. Yeah, and they got some work uh, to do. That's for sure. And I promise that not every best moment for me is masculine emotional vulnerability. <laughs> because simply in the first two episodes though it it happens to be yeah for sure but moving on from that what's your river don't this week rob it's a weird one it's not a single scene it is a series of things that almost all of them on their own are fine but the constellation of them yes the combined cumulative weight of what this episode does to betty's character uh is a little much for me (laughs) Um, Fair. We, looking back, we start this episode in the aftermath of Archie basically rejecting her as a romantic prospect, Mm -hmm. and she's not really okay with that. And we're mad at Veronica for macking on Archie in the closet. Mm -hmm. So, like, bad place in general for Betty to start with. Good. Makes sense. That's where she should be at. She promises her mom that she will never talk to those bad kids again. And, like, okay, 
that's telegraphed. Obviously, she wouldn't have even, they wouldn't have even bothered showing that scene unless she was about to do the exact opposite, which she does. She immediately is like, no, 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 I'm going to try to make it right with these people. Yep. And I understand the urge to because she feels very, very alone. Mm-hmm. And so then, of course, Archie plays some sexy, soulful music, and she cannot handle it. And she gets real sad and has to storm off. I mean... And that's okay, too. Like, I, you know, I, yeah. I can buy it. So would, I can so buy that happening. with literally anyone. And then, just to sort of get back at Veronica, she sort of takes up with Cheryl, which is a shitty, weird thing to do. But again, okay, I'm starting to strain on the, the sheer number of... Betty flip-flops right. in this episode of like, am I friends with these people? Am I not friends with these people? Am I mad? Am I not mad? How do I feel about anything? Like, okay, this this is where it starts to strain for me yeah. is is the taking up with Cheryl because like, you know, she Cheryl's bad news. No secret has been made of that anywhere. And like, what in the hell does Veronica care about Cheryl? Like, oh, I'm embracing the past version of you to reject the... Like, it's just, it's so weird. But, okay, let's continue on. Of course, this brief Betty and Cheryl thing ends very poorly. Yeah. But it ends because Cheryl does a shitty self-serving thing in the conversation that they have. And that changes Betty's mind about Cheryl. Oh, yeah. I mean, Betty... What? As a character... Like in this episode is just a piece of refuse being dragged along oh, yeah. by the like, winds it, of plot. How how on earth could Betty have been under the impression that Cheryl wasn't going to have some sort of self-serving angle in suddenly giving a shit about her? Do we remember the last episode? Do we remember our entire childhoods in Riverdale? Right. Like the the cozying up to Cheryl sort of made me scratch my head a bit, but then when she was legitimately angry and hurt that Cheryl was not perfectly nice and selfless, I was like, come the fuck on. She knew this long before this. Yeah. Why is this a thing? That definitely strained some credulity. And so I just feel real bad for Betty's character because she was forced to just change her mind about everything so many times in such quick succession that, like, I feel like I know who she is way the hell less at the end of episode two than I did in episode one. I can see that, and I can understand someone making the argument in this situation that that is potentially something that would be true to character in the sense of she's a teenager's teenagers are going through a lot they can flip-flop however well and as i said many of the individual decisions that she made up till the end i think were defensible and sort of understandable i just feel like they put her through too many in too few minutes literally yeah it was a lot really really fast like really really fast (laughs) and Here's one of Quinn's writing pro tips for you. Realism (laughs) isn't necessarily exactly what you should be portraying when you craft a character. You shouldn't necessarily be going, what would a teenager do? Because consistency and arc are very, very important. In the immortal words of Lonnie Diane Rich, reality is no defense for fiction. Exactly. So I agree that that was a pretty weird, bad thing in this episode and at least it was not as monstrous and disgusting as the bad thing in the previous episode (laughs) agreed 100 agreed but my river don't follows pretty neatly with yours but it involves betty's mom who 
Okay. They are certainly being successful in making her an unlikable character. I know that that's what they're doing. They are evoking the appropriate emotions in me of just like really, really not liking this person. But after that whole thing happens with Cheryl, she stomps into Betty's room and sages the place. (laughs) And like (laughs) that whole scene was just really, really rough. Like, first of all, the sage thing, it's a personal thing. If you're a person who does sage burnings to cleanse your spaces or whatever, that's totally fine. I just have very, very negative, very, very personal experiences, specifically with mothers who will barge into their child's room to sage it to extract the negative energies. So that's like a personal hit and not in a way that like hit me in an emotionally or cathartically satisfying way. But then the rest of that scene, I feel like is treading ground with the Betty and her mother dynamic. That is just spinning the wheels of what we already know about those two characters. Her mom wants this like Stepford reality and is trying really, really hard to hold that together in the face of the collapse of her family and is being way too hard on Betty. And there's just, I didn't feel like there was anything there that served to develop that relationship or that arc in any way. Yeah, you have to look at it pretty hard to find any narrative value there. The one thing that I will credit it with, which may have been accidental, is due to what happens between Betty and Cheryl. It seems like, it's almost like Betty's mom smells blood and she's like, ah, I sense weakness. Time to rush in there and browbeat my daughter and like consolidate my power and take firmer hold of the territory of my daughter's decision making um which if the show had sort of here's the thing when the show is doing clever stuff like that it fucking tells you three times very loudly oh yeah so i'm guessing that that wasn't something they did on purpose fair and for the most part other other than the timing it really was just here's what we did in the first episode in case you forgot yeah absolutely Moving from there, let's move on to our notes of perplexion with this episode. Okay. Since we're doing this draft style, I'll start us off. For me, it was the narration in that penultimate scene where everyone's back together. You've got Archie and Betty and Veronica and Jughead in the booth at Pops. Everyone's sort of happy. Mm -hmm. And then Jughead launches into this narration about how there were four bodies in the booth, but... They were really only to anyone who was looking at the scene, three people there. And it's tugging on a lot of those, like, observant outsider themes with Jughead's character. But, like... He's waving the Holden Caulfield flag pretty yeah, hard. Yeah, like, come on, dude. These people, <laughs> like, actually like and appreciate you? Were you present for episode two of Riverdale, bro? <laughs> right. Like, I know what it's like to feel like an outsider in your own group or whatever, but you don't have to treat yourself like you are such a side character that you're literally not there. Let's face it, in terms of Archie, dude got punched in the face and exposed himself to potential criminal implication almost entirely to make Jughead feel better, to to cease in disappointing his friend. Yeah, so frig off, buddy. Like, I mean, obviously he wanting to tell the truth was weighing on him some but not enough to do anything about it until Jughead got involved. Right. That's what pushed Archie towards actually doing something good. Truth and justice are very clearly super important things to Jughead, where Archie is more about, like, 
figuring out who you are and being true to that, which is important. But it was definitely Jughead that influenced that, so it's really weird to see him significantly downplaying that. Yeah, just writing himself off. Yeah. And it just, it made me a little sad and a little mad. Like, come on, buddy. Come on. You're better than that. (laughs) I suspect he is. I mean, I haven't seen enough of it to know for sure, but, like, I feel like he's going to end up being one of my favorite characters, like, when all's said and done. He's strong in the running for me, too. Yeah, I hope that the show doesn't uh, let me down in that regard. Yeah, Jughead and Veronica are very high up there for me. Veronica is the bizarre, non-Euclidean axis upon which the gyroscope of ridiculousness that are all these perplexing moments turns. Yeah, which is why she entered Pop's Chocolate Shop dressed like a goddamn witch. She is the best. Continuing in that theme, my perplexing moment, the the head-scratching thing of this episode, was the second in a row Veronica Lodge walk-and-talk explicit plot mechanics discussion, which was where she and Archie meet up at the chocolate shop when she's picking up a takeout order and they end up walking together for a bit (laughs) and veronica says that she's upset because she feels (laughs) as though betty and her are destined to be best friends and that she fucked it up (laughs) (laughs) i forgot that that was actually what she said those are the she actually said that felt it felt like we're destined to be best friends and that there's this train to the rest of my life and i missed it it's like and i feel personally let me tell you right now archie like there are years and years of some form of (laughs) explicit canon where (laughs) betty and i are very close friends and somehow i've missed that and i can feel the weight of 50 years of comics history burning inside of me and i hate it archie i don't it feels so weird, Archie. It feels like we're in a spinoff of the real story of the three of us. <laughs> like, it's so weird. And of course, we move then. Again, she does the same thing. She looks at Archie like, it's your turn to exposit on your character arc, buddy. And he does. He talks through his feelings about what's going on between him and Betty. At least this time, unlike the first episode, the topics of conversation are connected to one another. Like, yeah. they're both talking about Betty instead of just... What's your deal? What's going on in my, yeah. in my you know, character sheet? But with this happening two out of two episodes thus far, we do need to be wise to the possibility that Veronica Lodge is secretly Deadpool. If I can't get her as a witch, I'll take that. It's a distant second, but I'll take it. Uh, Because her relationship with the fourth wall is perhaps more intimate and intense than her relationships with any of the actual characters of the show. Oh, I mean, when she stops and gives the look at the camera, she's giving the look to the camera and not to her conversation partner. We're doing House of Cards. Right. And not to her conversation partner, where she's looking at us, the viewer, and saying, I bet you want to know what's up with this other person, right? Let's get into it. (laughs) Yes. Looks like old Archie's in a rough spot. (laughs) Oh, shit. So, yeah, there we go. That was the second episode. We, again, sort of end on mysterious developments and a scene at the chocolate shop. And, again, we, we stick to the format of 
angst and relationship tension for most of the episode and then some quick efficient business-like movement of the season plot right at the end oh yeah just a little plot to taste yeah it really is it's a garnish the the season plot is a garnish for the big juicy uh i'm trying to find something that is less gross or sexual sounding uh to the entree yeah um of of relationship nonsense quite frankly you don't have to eat it and you're not expected to but let me be a little honest with you here I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna judge you if you eat that thing up. <laughs> I mean, one of my only reservations moving forward, and it's not a big one, is that they're gonna do this to me too much. Where the main plot gets more and more complicated and interesting and full of questions every episode, but we don't answer any of them ever. And like, I just hope that if that's what they do, they do it in such a camp and excessive way that it's delightful. Yeah. Uh, Rather than simply frustrating. It's like the old saying goes, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when an angsty teenage crime drama we begin to conceive. Yep, that's that's how that one goes. (laughs) Thank you guys for listening, both of you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The the two people that I made listen to this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't even get my wife to listen. (laughs) Yeah, pretty Uh... much. Ah, we'll be back some other time. (laughs) Deuces. (laughs) 